Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 34. As you know, we started studying Genesis and then Exodus on Sunday nights over a long period of time. And as we do always, when we get to the summertime, we take what we've been doing on Sunday night and move that back, move it to Wednesday night in place of CBI. So Exodus 34, we're continuing our study of the book of Exodus. This book is powerful because we see God dealing with the people of, of Israel. He has redeemed them. He has delivered them out of Egypt. He has provided and protected them day by day in the wilderness. And now he's brought them to Mount Sinai to give them the law and set them apart. So th- this is a real special thing because he's now brought them to give them the law and set them apart. Now there at Sinai, it's a very important passage in the Word of God. Moses has requested to see the see God's glory. And of course, if you've been coming on Wednesday on Sunday nights, you know we we just actually did this Sunday night. So just through not this particular passage of, or this uh, these verses tonight, but just right where we are. And he said to God, he said, "I want to know what you're like. I want to know you." And so what we see in this uh, passage, and I don't, I think, yeah, we see the character of God. And he says, "I want to see your glory." And that's really the character of God. This is God's character, God's glory. For the last several weeks, what we've been doing is seeing how God. God reveals himself. I think it's wild in the sense that if you said, what is God like? I want to know what God is like. You could go to Exodus 34, basically verses 6 and 7, and you could see how God describes himself. And so we'd say that's the character of God. We can learn from God himself what he's like. So this evening we're continuing to see how God declares himself to Moses. We'll see it as we go through. I think some really interesting truths tonight. And so at the end, we'll have time for questions if you have any, because there's some neat things there. Let's start with a prayer, and then we'll get into the passage. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what a great night. Thank you so much for our our time to come together for the Wednesday night and our service, our church. We thank you, Lord, for, first of all, the Wednesday night meal and all the people who cooked the food and prepared it and handed it out in just a great time there. Thank you for those who are cleaning up and then for all the different ministries going on. And then, Lord, we just thank you for tonight that we could actually look into the Scripture. Thank you, Lord, that as we've been studying the book of Exodus, we've now come to a very powerful passage in which you reveal yourself to us, what your character is like. So, Lord, we just ask you as we continue in the book of Exodus, especially chapter 34, that you would teach us and we'd see things we can apply right now. Lord, we thank you that salvation is a gift by faith alone in Christ alone. We thank you it's not our works, our goodness, our righteousness, it's simply faith. Thank you that we trust in Jesus for eternal life. So teach us now, Lord, as we study. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, come come on in. Come on in. Sometimes we, we, we say sin, and we say we hate it, and we love it. The truth is, we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God, that the wages of sin is death. The soul that sins shall die. The problem is that every human being has sinned and come short of the glory of God, and we all owe God death. But there is a great truth from the Scripture, and that is this. God in His mercy, God in His grace and compassion, God in His love has dealt with our sin. How? Well, God so loved the world that he gave his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus came, died on the cross, paid for sin, and rose again. And this evening, as we look at the character of God, we see a truth that is often overlooked. And if you remember, as we've been reading these these eight different aspects of God, it says, it says God is compassionate and gracious and slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps his loving kindness for thousands. And then there's a place tonight we're going to see it says, who forgives iniquity. Now, here's a truth that is often overlooked, but we need to remember, and that is this. There is a difference. Now, listen carefully. There is a difference between the payment for sin and the forgiveness of sin. In this passage, he talks about 
forgiveness of sin. And what we'll talk about it as we go through. How does it fit? We'll see that God proclaims to Moses that he is a God who forgives sin. And we'll see how this fits. As we continue this evening, we're going to see the character of God. Let's remember where we are. The nations come out of Egypt. It was an incredible thing. They were in Egypt for over 400 years. God used Moses, Moses, all the plagues, let them out. Part of the Red Sea came through. Egyptian army was drowned. They've been going around in the wilderness. God has provided over and over and over and over again. And they've now come to a mountain. This is a mountain that what's so amazing about this is called Mount Horeb or Mount Sinai. It's the same place. This is the place that Moses saw the burning bush. And God said to him out of the burning bush, go to Egypt, get my people and bring them out. And actually God told him, you will bring my people back to this place. That's where they've come. They've come there. And at this place they're going to get, God's going to make a covenant with them, which we call the law, the Mosaic law. God uses Moses as a mediator. And we're going to see this. And in the last few weeks we've seen Moses uh, had a pattern that he would go outside of the camp and he would meet with God. That was his plan, to have fellowship with God. This is before the tabernacle was built. Our goal is the same. Our goal is to, to meet with God. In Exodus thirty-three eighteen, Moses requested to see God's glory. And God said, you can't see my glory and live, but here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to put you in the cleft of the rock. I am going to pass by. Remember those words? I'm going to pass by and I'll let you see my glory. We realize that God passes by and proclaims to Moses what his glory is like, what his character is like. And so this, we could say, if we really want to know what God is like, we should take a close look at this passage because this is how God reveals himself. And I think that's a really powerful truth. Look at Exodus 34, verse 6. Remember I said, passes by, look right here. The Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God. So this is where God is passing by Moses and is revealing his character. This is really special. And I remember I studied this a long time ago. Uh, gosh, it's got to at least be 10 years ago, uh, maybe maybe 12 years ago that I looked at Exodus and I saw this passage. And I, I memorized this passage about, you know, the Lord God and that he's gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and overflowing with loving kindness and abounding in truth. And all the, just, you know, keep, you know, keeps loving kindness for thousands who forgive sins, who deals with sins. It's a great passage because what it really is is what God is like. And so if you said, I kind of want to know what God's like. I mean, I see him all through the scripture. I see Jesus. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So we're okay. But I want to see how God reveals himself. In this passage, there are eight aspects, eight things that he says. Here's what we've seen. We've seen that he says he's compassionate and gracious and slow to anger and overflowing with loving kindness, overflowing with truth. He keeps his loving kindness to thousands. That's how he says it. He forgives sins, and then later he talks about punishing sins. So we've been seeing these. Let me, let me just briefly talk you through them. First of all, we've seen... Go ahead and go to the next slide. I think it should be... Okay, first of all, we've seen that he's compassionate. And that as a father cares for his children, God cares for us. And the idea of compassion is that he cares about every aspect of our lives. That's why it says in Philippians 4, 6, and 7, Be anxious for nothing, but everything with prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known to God. He cares about everything. The second word is the word gracious. And God is a God of grace. He deals with us. Our salvation is all of grace. Our Christian life is all of grace. We look for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our God and Savior, all of grace. It's always that way. And we, we, should, be, we should be jumping up and down. Saying, God deals with us in grace. Thank you, Lord. The third one is he's slow to anger. And we basically said it means a long fuse. And he has already poured out his anger and wrath 
on on his son Jesus Christ. First Peter three eighteen, Christ died for our sins once for all, the just for the unjust. God's poured out his wrath on Jesus Christ. The the fourth one was loving kindness. He is abounding in loving kindness. The word loving kindness is a Hebrew word, Hesed, H E S E D. It's really pronounced Chesed, has that guttural sound in Hebrew. Most of the time I just say Hesed because people don't want to hear the guttural sound. But anyway, it's H E S E D and it means a loving kindness. It means a loyal love. It means a love that never changes and goes on and on and on, unconditional. That's why God so loved the world. And, and then it says overflowing with truth. With truth. And the word truth has an idea of faithfulness. Faithfulness. So they go together, faithful and true. And, and it's great stuff. Now, this, this evening, we're going to see two more aspects, okay? Here's what we'll see. We'll see that he keeps his loving kindness for thousands. We'll explain what that means. And he forgives sin. And so we'll see how that ties together. Well, let's begin. Let's think about it. The, the, if you look at verse seven, it says, who keeps loving kindness for thousands. This is, this is it. Who keeps his loving kindness for that. And remember, the word loving kindness is that that Hebrew word that is H-E-S-E-D, chesed, and it's an unchanging, unconditional, eternal love. And one of the things you have to realize that love really is, love is a choice. You choose to love. Love is not a feeling. Love has feelings with it, sometimes connected with it, but love is a choice. God so loved the world that he did something. It has actions in the sense with it. He says, I love you. I choose to love you. God, God's love, his loving kindness is an unconditional, unchanging uh, love, eternal love. And, and, and that's powerful. Now watch what it says. Who keeps loving kindness for thousands. Literally, it, it, it has the idea of it extends to thousands. The idea that it goes on and on and on and on and on. God loves, God's love just keeps going on and on and on and on and on. It's for all people. In fact, let's put it this way. It's for all people for all time. God's love extends to all people for all time. Thousands of generations is what it means. See, he wants Moses to understand that my love is not just for Moses or the Jewish people. My love extends to thousands of generations, thousands of people. See, the Jewish people, if you remember this, there was a man by the name of Abram. He lived in the Ur of the Chaldees. And out of all the people in the world, God said to Abram, I want you to leave the land and leave your fathers and go to a land that I will show you. And then when you get there, I'm going to give you a land. I'm going to give you an offspring and a people. And I'm going to make you a blessing to the whole world. That's Jewish people. Jewish people are God's chosen people. Some people actually say things like, well, if God chose the Jewish people, he loved them more than anybody else. No, he doesn't. In fact, God's love extends to who? All people, to all generations. Sometimes the Jewish people, what did they call the Gentiles? What was the nickname they had for the Gentiles? Dogs. See, because Gentiles weren't God's chosen people. And so sometimes Jewish people needed to be reminded that even though God chose Abraham to Isaac to Jacob and on down, and, and this people group here, that at the time of Moses is maybe two million people went in at seventy five went into Egypt at seventy five came out of probably two million six hundred thousand men not counting women and children that's why you think two million if God chose them they might say well he he loves us more than anybody else no my love extends to all people the Jewish people redeemed delivered provided and protected 
But sometimes they overlook the fact that God loved all people in the same way, and it extends to all people, Jews and Gentiles. That's why in Genesis 12 it says, In you, Abraham, will all the nations of the world what? Be blessed because the Messiah is going to come through Abraham. Now let's think about the most famous verse in all the Bible dealing with the loving kindness of God that extends to all people. And that is what? God so loved the world, right? It's John 3.16. See, it's God the Father so loved and, and that idea of love there is, of course, in the New Testament, it's agape. It's, it has almost the same meaning as hesed. It has that same view. It, it's God so loved the world. That's every person. In fact, every time you see world, it's cosmos in the Greek. It always means the ordered system and the people in the ordered system. In fact, the word cosmos is ne- almost never just refers to believers. In, in fact, it doesn't refer to believers. When he says the world, he's talking about the whole fallen world system. God so loved the world that what did he do? He gave his only son. He gave. Gave him to what? Down the cross, pay for sin, rise again. He gave him to leave the glories of heaven, to become a person, to be born in Bethlehem, to walk on this earth for 30, 33 years, to have that ministry, to die, to offer himself, to be the final sacrifice for sin forever, to die and rise again, conquering death and ascending back to the Father. That's a lot of detail in just God gave his son, but that's what it is. God so loved us that he gave his son, Jesus, and as First John 2, 2 says, he's the satisfactory payment, not for our sins only, but for the sins of the entire world. It goes back again. I love what Oswald Chambers said. Oswald Chambers says this, In the cross we see the love of God. It shows the heart of God for all people. Jesus on the cross with his arms outstretched and men driven to come to him as Savior. The cross is the supreme evidence of the love of God for all people. So when you think about the cross, see, that's why when some people say that Jesus didn't die for everybody, they're not understanding what God's really like. God loved every human being. Jesus Christ died for who? Every human being that's ever existed and ever will exist. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever, any person, not just some, not selected ones, not Jews, not certain Gentiles, not, whoever believes in him, faith in Christ will never perish, but have what? Eternal life. The love of God extends to every person, First John 4, 9. By this the love of God was manifested, that God sent his only begotten Son into the world that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we love God, but God loved us and sent his Son to be the satisfactory payment for our sin, the propitiation. God is a God who loves all people. God is a God who wants everyone to be saved. And I know some people don't hold to that, but if you go to to, uh, to Timothy, he says God's not willing for anyone to, to die. He wants them to, to be saved. It's powerful. God loves the world. Now we turn to an issue that is often misunderstood, and that is the issue of forgiveness and payment. Because we get to the seventh, view, seventh aspect. Because, see, he's compassionate and gracious and slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps his loving kindness for thousands, and then number seven, who forgives iniquity. Who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin is how he says it in this passage. 
So as we think about this issue of forgiveness, I want to look at four things, and I'm doing very quickly. First of all, there are three words I want you to think about that, that are dealt with sin. Then I want you to look at the meaning of the, of the word forgive, both in the Old Testament and New Testament. Then we're going to talk about the difference between the payment of sin and forgiveness of sin. There are a lot of people who have never thought about the difference between payment and forgiveness, and then we're going to see two aspects of forgiveness because they all tie together. Let's look, first of all, at three words for sin. There's a word that's translated that says uh, forgives iniquity. The word iniquity means to be bent. It means to turn from the straight way. It's the idea of a person who just goes off. It's like you're going this way, and then you go, oh, I'm, 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 I'm crooked. Um, you know, that's what that is. That's what the word means. It means you messed up. It means like there's a straight way, but you crooked. You know, we'd say, well, you're crooked. That's iniquity. Then the second word is transgression, which actually means to step over the line. It actually has an idea of rebellion, open rebellion. It's like you say, this is wrong. Don't do this. And you say, I'm going to do this. I, I think, do you, let me ask you something. Have you ever just kind of been going along and then you realize, wait a minute, I'm over here. You've done that? Have you ever said, I know this is wrong, but... I'm going to do it anyway. You've done that? Of course we've done that. What about this one? Sin means to miss the mark. Sometimes we're saying, I'm going to, I'm going to do what's right. And then you go, I just did what was wrong. I was trying. Right? And this means to miss the mark. And so when he says, who, who forgives iniquities, transgression, and sin, he's saying sometimes we just go off. Sometimes we just fall short. Sometimes we're in open rebellion. That's what sin is. And we, we, we turn from what's right, open rebellion, and fall short of the way. We've all sinned. But God, it says, but God is a God who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. Now, we saw three words, these three words. Let's now talk about the word forgiveness. The word forgive means to lift up and to carry away. Forgiveness of sin is actually saying God has has removed your sin. He's lifted it up and carried it away. Isn't there a passage that says something like as far as the east is from the west, right? The I, I don't know if I have this. Do I have the next? What's the next slide? Does it say... Now, go back. I guess I didn't put it up there. There's a Hebrew word, nasa, which means to lift up and carry away. There's a Greek word, arao, which is to take off. And in Psalm 32, one says, God takes away sin. That Both the Old Testament and New Testament has an idea to lift up and carry away. That takes us to the third thing. Now, this is the one to listen carefully on, and that is this. There's a difference between the payment for sin and forgiveness of sin. Okay? A payment is that the penalty has been paid, but forgiveness deals with relationship and fellowship. Now, let's stop and think about this for just a second. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, what did he do? He paid for the sins of the entire world. That's every person. There has been a payment for sin made for every person. Okay? I think I've, I think Jesus Christ's death on the cross was the payment for sins of the entire world. First John two two is the satisfactory payment, not for sins only, but for the sins of the entire world. How many human beings exist today or ever will exist who do not have the payment for sin? How many? None. Every human being, past, present, and future, sins are paid for. Right? Wages of sin is death. Who died? 
Jesus Christ, he became our substitute. He died for us. He took our, our sin upon himself. Isaiah 53, all we like sheep have gone astray, each one our own way, but the Lord has laid on him our iniquities. First Peter 2.24, he bore in his body our sins when he was on the cross. Jesus Christ paid for sins. That's the payment for sin. Every human being has the payment for sin. Okay? Forgiveness of sin comes by faith. We get forgiveness of sin by faith. When we believe in Jesus Christ, we receive forgiveness of sin. Okay? Now, let me just say this. The payment for sin, all people have the payment for sin. Forgiveness of sin comes by faith. And forgiveness of sin deals with both our relationship with God and our fellowship with God. We'll talk more about that in just a second. Uh, listen, I think I put, did I put the verses up there? Yeah, listen to this, Acts thirteen thirty-eight. Let it be known to you, brethren, that through him forgiveness of sin is proclaimed to you. Through Jesus, forgiveness of sin is proclaimed. Listen to this. It, it, Paul was told that I was going to go to the Gentiles to open their eyes, turn them away from darkness, from the dominion of Satan to the dominion of God, in order that they may receive forgiveness of sins by faith in me. When you believe in Jesus Christ, what do you get? Forgiveness. Well, yeah, right. But, but as far as sin is concerned, you get the what? Forgiveness of sins. Now, that is different than the payment for sin. Does the payment of sin bring salvation? The answer is no. Jesus Christ died to pay for the sins of the entire World, if the payment for sin equals salvation, everyone would be saved. Salvation does not come by the payment of sin. Salvation comes with forgiveness of sin, and that's by faith. Now, I want you to understand, all people, I think I have this as a slide, understand all people have their sins paid for. All people do. Past, present, future. But... To have a relationship and fellowship with God, we must have three things that all comes by faith. When you believe in Jesus Christ, what do you get? Eternal life. When you believe in Jesus Christ, what do you get? Righteousness. When you believe in Jesus Christ, what do you get? Forgiveness. Now, he's dealing with forgiveness in this passage. So I want you to understand that every person on the face of this earth who has ever lived and ever will live all of them have their sins paid for because Jesus Christ is the satisfactory payment not for our sins only but for the sins of the entire world. But anyone who believes in Jesus Christ as Savior not only gets eternal life and righteousness, but they receive forgiveness of sins. Okay, So we have to understand he's paid for the sins of the entire world, but forgiveness of sin comes by faith. That's why over here he's talking about he's a compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. How does he forgive sin? By what? By faith. Now let me ask you something. When this was written, and this is Moses seeing God, did Moses have the payment for sin? He did not. The payment for sin happened when Jesus Christ died on the cross. Could Moses have forgiveness of sin? Yes. By? By faith. So I want you to just see this. That a person, every human being now, because of Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection, they have the payment for sin. Any human being that will believe in Jesus Christ as Savior has what? Forgiveness of sin. Okay, this makes sense. We'll open it up for questions in just a minute. Now, here's the fourth thing. 
there are two aspects of forgiveness of sin. Okay? There is forgiveness of sin for salvation, which is our relationship. There is forgiveness of sin in the Christian life, which is for our fellowship. Okay? Those two things. Now, think about this. I think the next slide says something. By faith in Jesus Christ, we have the forgiveness of sin concerning salvation. That's concerning our relationship. When you believe in Jesus Christ as Savior, He says, your sins are Forgiven, and now you have an eternal relationship with Him. That's your position in Christ. You will always be a child of God. You'll always have that eternal relationship, and you'll always have the forgiveness of sins by faith. Okay? Now, there's a second aspect, though. Because as you go through life, sometimes in our fellowship with God, what happens? We do what? We sin and we get out of fellowship and we need forgiveness of sin in our fellowship to get back, to, to get back into fellowship with God. So how do we do that? How do we have forgiveness of sin in fellowship? What do we do? Confess our sins. If you confess our sins, you're faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you. Now, a lot of people don't grasp this because I've had people come up to me and they'll say, First John 1 9 says that I need to confess my sins to have forgiveness. I thought I already had forgiveness when I trusted in Christ as my Savior. What's the answer to that? Yes, when you believed in Jesus Christ as Savior, you had forgiveness of sins dealing with your what? Relationship, that's eternal life. When you sin as a Christian, you need forgiveness of sins in order to be back in fellowship. Does this make sense? A lot of people have never even heard this. So what we want to grasp is that... Payment for sin has happened for everybody. Forgiveness of sin as far as an eternal life relationship with God comes by faith. Forgiveness of sins as far as fellowship comes when we deal with our sin by confession. Okay? He, he, uh, it's powerful. So look at this. I think that it's it. For a relationship by faith, we have eternal life. That's forgiveness. For the Christian life, we have fellowship if we confess our sins. Our God is what? Compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness, abounding in truth. But this evening we see, I think, that his love extends to all people and he forgives sins for a relationship by faith in Jesus Christ. And for fellowship, of course, it comes back to dealing with our sins confession. Okay, now, I'm going to give you some applications, and we'll open up for questions, because in case you have questions about this, okay? First one is take time to know God. Remember, what's the, the whole premise of what's this passage about? Why is God passing by Moses and telling him this? Because Moses said, I want to know you. I want to see your glory. We need to take time and, and spend time with him. Let me tell you, that the whole idea of quiet time and reading the Bible and, and studying uh, sometimes people say, why do we need to do that? Because this is a way that you can know him. Paul said, I want to know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of suffering. Paul said, and we'd say, Paul, you know Christ as Savior. Yeah, I'm not talking about knowing him as Savior. I'm talking about knowing him in a fellowship way. And that's what we want to do. We want to spend time with him. And I want to tell you what, uh, how many times do you feel like having a quiet time? Not very, Not all the time, right? I mean, sometimes you may get up or sometimes you may be doing something and say, I thought, oh, I just, I can, I just want to sit down and I want to just read and pray and talk and all that. But what normally happens to us if we're not careful? Everything of life just takes over and we go, oh, I, I should have had my, I should have read. I, you know, you, you got to make a priority to know him. We have to do it. I mean, that's the only thing. Second, just remember this. 
God's love extends to all people. God so loved the, the world, not just some, that God gave his son to die and rise again for the world. It's really powerful. The, the payment of sin has already happened for everyone. Now, from Adam and Eve up to the time of Christ, nobody had the payment for sin. Were people saved? By faith. And when they trusted the Messiah, the Savior, by faith, they received what? And righteousness and forgiveness. Let me say it again. Y'all didn't want to hear it. When When they believed in Christ, they received eternal life and righteousness and forgiveness. They didn't have payment. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, paid for Sin was buried, rose again, conquering death, sent it back into heaven. Who has the payment for sin? Everybody does. But whoever believes has eternal life, righteousness, and forgiveness. That's the three. Okay? So realize that God's love extends to all the payment of sin and all of those things. It's powerful. The last thing is understand God's forgiveness. God's forgiveness of sin. And I think I've got right here for salvation by faith in Jesus Christ. We have forgiveness of sin. Acts 13, 38. It says, whoever believes in him receives the forgiveness of sin. Okay? But there's a second thing is for the Christian life, confession. He forgives our failures and sin day after day, First John 1, 9. So it goes together. Now, one of the keys is God is a God whose love extends to all people. And when he died on the cross, he paid for all sin. Whoever believes receives the forgiveness of sin, and that's for our eternal relationship. And as we sin going through our Christian life and we confess our sin, we receive forgiveness of sins in our fellowship, and they go together. May we take the time to know God, our God and Savior Jesus Christ, who died and rose again, paying for our sins, and we trust in him, not only forgiveness both for salvation and as we Maintain our fellowship as we confess our sins. There's a lot there. Let me pray, and we'll open up for questions. Heavenly Father, what a passage. Thank you, Lord, as we continue to look at your character, that you are indeed a God of compassion and grace, a God who's slow to anger, a God who overflows in that loyal love that never ends. Thank you, Lord, that you overflow in truth and faithfulness. Lord, you're one who keeps your love for thousands. It goes for all people. And you are the one who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. And it's all simply by faith. Thank you, Lord, for these great truths. Uh, Help us to understand how it all fits together so we can be ready to give an answer to everyone for the hope that is within us. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, questions, comments, anything? It's a little bit bit complicated. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Right. Okay, here's a great question. She's, we know this, that before Jesus died on the cross, when an Old Testament believer died, their body went in the ground, and their soul and spirit went to the heart of the earth. And the Old Testament was called Sheol, and the New Testament is called Hades. This is found in Luke 16, where Jesus teaches about this. And it was a place called Paradise in the heart of the earth. And so when an Old Testament believer died, that's where they went. 
Now, if you remember when Jesus was on the cross and the thief was with him, and the thief said, don't forget me when you come in your kingdom, and he said, today you'll be with me in paradise. And we already found in Matthew twelve thirty-eight through 40, that as Jonah's in the belly of the great fish three days and three nights, so must the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth three days and three nights, so he's going to the heart of the earth, paradise is the heart of the earth. Now, so you're exactly right that here are the Old Testament saints, not their bodies, but their soul and spirit, and the best that we can tell is after Jesus died and rose again sometime in that time period, as Ephesians says, he led captivity captive. The best that we can understand is he took what we would call paradise, moved it from the heart of the earth, and now paradise is up in, as Paul said, the third heaven to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And the best we can understand why that these Old Testament saints didn't go to be directly in the presence of the Lord until after Jesus died on the cross. It had to do something with the payment for sin. Once the payment for sin was was removed, that barrier is removed, then those who have eternal life, righteousness, and and uh, uh, forgiveness were able to then go to be in the presence of the Lord. So I think you're exactly right. That's how I, best I can see it fitting together. That Now today, if you're a, a New Testament believer and you die, where does your body go? In the and body goes in the ground, but you go to be, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord because that's where it is now. And in, in the heart of the earth, best we can tell from Luke 16, Jesus teaches us that on one side there it was called paradise, but I think paradise is now with the Lord in the heavenly places. And on the other side was a place we just, he just called it torments. The unbelievers, Old Testament and New Testament, when they die, bodies in the ground, and their souls go into the heart of the earth to the hate, what we'd say the torment side, to be raised at the great white throne judgment. So you're exactly right. The best I think the best we can see is why didn't Old Testament saints go directly to be with the Lord? I think it had something to do with the payment of sin. Yes. I think you, I think it's a very great statement. He said that the Jewish people as a whole, and we mentioned it while we talked through this, is that when being chosen by God and to being the ones to proclaim the good news message and to bring the Messiah and give the written word of God, and they they tend to see themselves, they tended to see themselves as better, and that the world, the Gentiles were dogs. And then if we're not careful, the church says we're we're the body of Christ. We've trusted in Christ. We have eternal life. The rest of the world are all fallen and dead and sinful, and, and we don't care about them. When It's got to be just the opposite. We ought to say by the grace of God, we, we are the body of Christ, and we need to see as many people come to know Christ as possible. So that's a great point. Yeah. What else? Questions, comments, anything? Do you have the, you see the thing between what payment of sin is and then you see the two aspects of forgiveness of sins and how forgiveness is different than payment and the two aspects of forgiveness. Do you all see that? Because okay, I think, I think if you got that, you, you put together something that most people don't know because they just, they haven't grasped that. And then I think the other thing is just remember that even though this passage talks about forgiveness, there are really only, there are only two verses maybe three, if you take the one of the other Acts passages, that actually talk about, two that actually say by faith you receive forgiveness of sins. 
and there's only several verses that talk about whoever believes has the righteousness of God. There's the emphasis in the New Testament especially is that by faith in Christ you receive what? Eternal life. The emphasis is eternal life. In the Gospel of John, it's 98 times. In the New Testament, it's over 160 times. So the emphasis seems to be by faith you receive life. That's the emphasis. Now, you also get forgiveness and righteousness, but that's not what's emphasized as much in the New Testament. And so what we want to do is tell people they can have life. Life by faith in Christ. That's why the living water is the water that that gives you life. And he's the the resurrection and the life. And he's the way, the truth, and the life. Now, in this passage tonight, we were hitting on forgiveness. And I think it's very important to understand forgiveness. Now, let me just say this. What about, and I'm just throwing this out, what about our relationships with each other? Ephesians 4.32, be kind, tenderhearted, what? forgiving one another just as God in Christ Jesus has forgiven you. And so it goes, there's an aspect of forgiveness, not only our uh, eternal forgiveness in our relationship with God and our fellowship forgiveness with God, but there's an aspect of forgiveness in our fellowship with each other. And we're to be kind, tenderhearted, forgiving one another just as God in Christ Jesus has forgiven us. And we need to do that as well. That's important. That's vital. Okay. What else? What else? Got about a minute. <laughs> okay, now, she's not going to want me to do this, but I'm going to tell you that she's amazing because here's what she does. She comes, she loves people, and then she goes out these doors. She takes Gospels of John. She goes all over the place. And it's not going to be very long that she's telling somebody about Jesus. And if she can get them to grasp it, she's going to try to get them right here. So she is amazing in the fact that she's re- she does exactly what we say. We gather for worship and training and fellowship and in loving. And then we scatter in this community to take the message. And that's what she does. And she wouldn't want me to say that. But... Well, I know, I know. Well, it's definitely not you. Let me just tell you that. No, it's not. She's amazing. All right, what else? Anything else before we stop? Yeah, we haven't got to that one. That's next week. Yeah, that's next time. That's number eight. Number eight. Okay, so what's he going to do? <laughs> Look what it says. He by no means leaves the guilty unpunished, visiting iniquity of the fathers on the children and on the grandchildren to the third and fourth generation. That sounds terrible. And if there's forgiveness of sin, and if there's payment for sin and forgiveness of sin, why is there punishment for sin? Hmm? Consequences. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. What a man sows, that shall he also reap. If you sow the flesh, you reap Corruption, if you sow with the Spirit, you reap eternal life. We'll see that. Well, maybe you don't have to come next week. No, we will, because there's a lot there. In fact, I'm going on some other verses besides this one next week as we continue. All right. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh.
I don't know if I can repeat what she said. But bottom line is that when she knows that when she sins and she confesses her sins and God forgives her, then when somebody has done her wrong, she knows she's supposed to forgive them in the same way that God's forgiven her. But that's really a lot harder to do. And the truth is it's because you're not God. And, and and we're fallen people, and we know what we should do. We should be kind, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ Jesus has forgiven us. But uh, he takes it and rules it far as the what? East to the west, and we keep it right here. And we keep saying, do you remember what you did, don't you? That's part of it. But you're right, it's hard, and that's why we need each other. We need each other. Okay, all right. Uh, Heavenly Father, what a great, great night. Thank you for allowing us to come together and look at the book of Exodus. Thank you for all the people that came. It's so fun. Help us, Lord, as we put it together, and especially next week when we talk about the whole idea of of, of punishing sin, well, how that works and what you do. Thank you, Lord, that you're a greatest God. You love us beyond what we can imagine. You're compassionate and gracious and slow to anger and overflowing with loving kindness and truth. And Your loving kindness extends to thousands, and you forgive sin. And you punish sin. Thank you, Lord, for who you are. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, thanks. Thanks.